Once again, it is good to be here this evening, and lest I don't say it enough, I can say how much I appreciate the opportunity. Jennifer and I have just enjoyed it so much. We have enjoyed getting to know each of you. It's good to to spend time with Jerry again. Uh, I should have pointed out earlier that when I said back uh, in college days, I meant Jerry's college days, Uh, not mine. So, a little after, you know. A little after me, but it's good, good to be together, good to get to, to again, to know you. Appreciate the, the prayers that have been offered. Appreciate the good leadership we've had in our song and songs and the good singing that, that we've had. You're very blessed. Uh, you may, uh, I don't know how you think of yourself. You might think of yourself as a small group, and that, but I'm going to tell you, you're very blessed. You've got uh, good um, people here, uh, good zeal for the Lord, and, and that, it doesn't matter if you've got two people or 200 people. Uh, that is so good to have, and I appreciate that so much. We're talking during the, during the week about trusting God. Trust God. And we want to continue that tonight, because I think that what we're going to talk about is an issue of trust, of do we take God for His Word? Do we just believe what He tells us, no matter what anybody else says? Is that what's most important to us? Not what we've always been taught, not what we've always heard, not what the world may currently think. What does God say? Sometimes I I think that people want to establish their faith according to the polls. You know, what is it that's, that's the modern day way of thinking about something? And yet, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, forever. He doesn't change. Truth doesn't change. And, and so what I want us to think about uh, together uh, this, um, this evening, we get... Um, get that turned on. You know, this, this have a, okay, there we go. Get the equipment uh, going right uh, on my part. I want to think about when the truth sounds strange. Think about what truth is. The Lord says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So truth is God's word. Not what man currently thinks truth is. What does God say that truth is? And, but then it comes to a point that you tell somebody, here's what the Bible says. And it's like, oh, that uh, sounds strange to them. Now we're going to be uh, going to the book of Hosea uh, a good bit. Uh, probably most of these will be on the screen. Some may not be, but we'll be in Hosea. And then we'll also be in 1 Kings 12 a good bit if you want to kind of be ready uh, for those two places. But I do think this is true, that people will hear something, might hear a Christian make some statement, and it's like, that is, they may think, that is so outdated, so archaic, so uh, dogmatic, or even so hateful. But yet sometimes that's just truth. Truth and the world do not go hand in hand uh, most of the time. So when the truth sounds strange, this is based on Hosea chapter 8 and in verse 12. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. So here uh, the prophet uh, Hosea was called to do some kind of some strange things himself, we might think in our hearing, because he was told to take a wife of, of harlotry and have these children, and the children's names meant certain things. And so it's an interesting setting uh, for Hosea. But here in chapter 8, he's talking about the, the northern kingdom, uh, about Ephraim in particular, as it's referred to there, but talking about the northern kingdom, and how God has said, you know, when, when, when uh, they hear my law, 
It just sounds strange to them. Well, now, there was not a good reason, but there was a reason for that. Just a little background now on where they were in the days of Hosea. And, and so we have up here, um, yeah, I think I've got a pointer. You remember that as we talked about Sunday morning, there was a united kingdom, the divided kingdom, then Judah alone, the captivity, the return. And so the, the united kingdom, we had Saul, David, and Solomon. And then when Solomon got older, his foreign wives turned his heart away from God. And God said, okay, Solomon, as a consequence and really a punishment for you having forsaken me, let your wives turn your heart from me, then I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. But I'm not going to take all the kingdom because I made a promise to your father David that he'd always have uh, an heir on the throne. And so I'm going to take part of the kingdom. He took a big part of it. And so as when the kingdom divides, uh, as, as you can see, there was a king of the southern kingdom named Rehoboam. That's Solomon's son. And the northern kingdom, there was Jeroboam. And so the split then happens and history continues uh, to, un, to unfold. And so we find then when Hosea comes along, he tells us, when he is prophesying. In fact, if you look at uh, Hosea uh, in chapter 1, and in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Eri, in the days of. And so in the days of these kings. And so you had, you had Azariah, or here uh, it, it's uh, calling him uh, Uzziah. And then you had uh, Jotham, and then you had Ahaz, and you had Hezekiah, and then here is Jeroboam up here. Now, this, this is Jeroboam II. Way back, 200 years earlier, was the first Jeroboam. That was, that was uh, um, the one that led them, and what we're going to see, led them into apostasy. And so, in the days of these kings, and so we, we are pretty far removed now. This is 750 B.C., and Hosea probably prophesied somewhere in this time frame. From 700 to 725, it's hard to, to pinpoint exactly when that was. And so we're about 200 years down the road. And what the first Jeroboam had done, he had changed the worship. And so he is going to lead them, unfortunately, into idolatry and or away from the Lord. And so what happened then after that period of time, here we are again about 200 years down the road, and Jeroboam has led the people completely away from the way God said to do things. And, and then when God sends them a prophet and says, here's how you ought to be worshiping me, that just sounds kind of strange to them. It's like we haven't heard that before. That just doesn't sound right to their ears. And so again, they are pursuing idolatry. Really, in one sense, they started out pursuing idolatry. When Jeroboam, um, as we'll see, he really leads them immediately into idolatry, even though in their mind they were really serving God. But they had these golden calves to represent God, which God has said, don't you ever do that. So in that sense, they were worshiping idols from the beginning. But here in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 5, Therefore their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who, gave, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. They were crediting every good thing they had. They were crediting that with the idols that they were serving. 
But Hosea says, and, and God says through Hosea in verse 8 there, For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. So God says, I gave them all of that. They think these false gods did. God said, I gave them that. And then they turn around and give it to Baal, who was one of the main false gods of, of the time. And so in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, here, here was the problem. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I tell you, that is so true today, and people don't have a clue what the Bible says, unfortunately. You ever watch a game show, and they ask a Bible question, and you think, anybody know that one? <laughs> and they are so far off, they don't know. Um, they'll, they'll have Noah in the New Testament. Saying, yeah, you don't know what they'll come up with. Because they don't, people don't know the Bible. My people are destroyed. So the, the northern kingdom just didn't know God's law. And they were suffering because of it. And so he goes on to say, Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. It's just always so that man's truth is different than God's. Man thinks he, he's figured it out. Man thinks this is the way this okay. Sometimes he'll even say, oh, God's fine with this. It's, you know, God, you know, long as we give him the glory. No, you give God the glory by doing what he says. Hosea 5, verse 11, Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Again, that's what we see all around us today. They, they think that um, they're smart enough to figure it out for themselves. And the truth starts sounding very strange. And so going back to Jeroboam now, who was, again, King Solomon's son. See what he did. See if this doesn't sound familiar. Jeroboam changed the worship to keep the crowd. Think that happens today? The message starts being tweaked. Because this will help bring more people in. Or this will help keep the people we already have. You, you hear these uh, preachers in these mega churches. Thousands of people there. Oh, that's great. But you listen to their message. And you hear very little about sin. You hear very little about repenting of sin. Very little about judgment. You know, very little about accountability. It's all, so much of it is... It's really uh, like motivational speech, just how you can do better uh, yourself as a, as a person. Very little about, here's what the Bible says, about things that maybe people are not wanting to hear, so they don't say that part. But Jeroboam was concerned about this. If, uh, and we'll go back to 1 Kings chapter 12. Here he has found himself to be the king over a good part of Israel. So now the northern kingdom, in fact, is referred to as Israel, and the southern kingdom as Judah. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem is located. That's where the temple is. And so now King uh, Jeroboam finds himself in the position that, wait a minute now, that all the people are supposed to go down to Jerusalem Three times a year. Most everybody went once a year at least. They were supposed to go three times, but at least they went once a year. And so he's concerned about that. 
And so he decides, now what's going to happen is, as we read in verse uh, 26, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. The people are going down there. They're going down where, where the temple is. And, and so he's afraid they're going to leave me. And if they leave him, that means probably he'll be killed. That's just the way it went. If you were deposed as the king, usually you didn't, you didn't survive that. But again, don't we see this today? It's like, well, let's see. How can we keep? How can we keep our young people? Well, they come up with all kinds of things. Well, let's entertain them. Let's feed them. Let's socialize them. Let's do all. And then maybe occasionally teach them a little bit of Bible. But so they're trying to figure out how do we keep the young people? Usually it comes through uh, appealing to the flesh, which would be the social end of things. How do we keep divorced people? Well, maybe we don't teach about divorce like the Bible teaches it. Or how do we keep those who are homosexual? Well, we just love everybody. And, and yeah, you love everybody, but, but you don't condone the wrong. But no, no, let's, let's just accept everybody is the trend now. How do we, um, how, how do we mesh the modern-day uh, women's movement, which was certainly uh, justified in so many ways, and yet it spills over into religion? And so, let's, well, well, maybe we need to let the women preach and, and uh, be elders and, and that sort of thing. Well, let, how do we do it? Well, whatever works, man might think. What people living together as an unmarried couple? Well, I know places, now I don't know of it in the Lord's church, but I know of places that, uh, because I'll see it on Facebook. That's how you find out things, isn't it? You look on Facebook. And I, a friend of mine, I know at the time she was living with her boyfriend and she talked about teaching Bible class where she went to church. And, and I, I, I just don't get that. It, it's fine. It is well. We want people who are divorced, people who are living together, people who are homosexual. We want them to come because we want them to learn the truth, not change the truth to keep them as they are, but teach them the truth so that they will change to meet what God says. But the point right now is whatever it takes to keep these people, that's what many are willing to do. And then they hear the acceptance just as they are, and then if you say anything different, it sounds strange. Truth sounds strange to them. Well, the pretense was... When Jeroboam was doing this, he tells the people, oh, this will be easier for you. You ever hear that, maybe? Oh, this will make it easier for you. Uh, you won't have to go to, down there to Jerusalem one, two, three times a year. You just So he sets up a golden calf in Dan and another one in Bethel. These are your gods, he says, who brought you out of Egypt and so on. Well, Dan was at the top and Bethel was at the bottom. So he had both borders, you might say, of his kingdom kind of covered so people wouldn't have to go beyond the borders of what uh, the, his kingdom was. I tell you, you look around and you can see all kind of things going on to make it easier for the people. You ever, you ever heard of drive-through drive communion? Uh, here's one. Um, this happens to be the Priest Lake Presbyterian Church, a new experience, drive-through communion. What is communion? 
Um, is it not what we do together? First Corinthians 10, uh, that that we do as a body of Christ. Well, that's, that's the idea. We, we, are, we are participating, we're fellowshipping in the communion of the, the body and the, and the blood of, of Jesus. Oh, well, no. You don't even have to get out of your car. You don't have to get change clothes. I guess you can come in your pajamas. Just get up. Come on. Well, then the natural extension of that then would be, well, why don't you just drive to the drive-thru? Some in here won't remember drive-thrus. We're used to you pull into the drive-thru, roll your window down, hang your speaker up in your door, right, and uh, listen to the movie. Well, now you can do that in places for church. Just drive in the parking lot, put the speaker in there, and, and you're good to go. A lot of fellowship there. Isn't it? A, a, a lot of uh, uh, encouraging one another to love and good works, like we read in Hebrews 10, verse 24. The, the whole idea of another, well, another way of translating church is assembly. Assembly. I don't think the Lord had that in mind. Let's all assemble, but we're not together. What have you assembled? But anyway, that's the, the idea behind it is let's make it easy. I think we have to be careful. Um, I think about the use of social media, for instance. We, um, on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, when we meet, we do Facebook Live for, our, for, the, for the sermon. We don't do the whole service. Uh, we, we do the sermons. And... I, for my part, if I ever start thinking that this enables someone to stay home who could come, then I wouldn't be for doing it that way. I, I don't want it to enable people to stay home. Now, people who are shut in or they're sick or as one, one case, uh, one time that we know of, uh, Jennifer's very good friend who's not a member of the church, lives in Michigan, they were snowed in. And they couldn't go to where they normally went, so they tune us in. And any time that she finds herself in that kind of a situation, she tunes us in, listens. Just an aside, probably our young people think, what does it mean, tune something in? But anyway, uh, that's, another, <laughs> that's another thought. Um, but in that, that's a good use of social media. Uh, the Facebook Live that, that uh, Stephen and Evan do on Sunday afternoon, great use of social media. But yet, things are misused just to make it easier, not scripturally easier, and aren't scripturally right, because it violates the very principles uh, that, that assembling together is supposed to accomplish. And so there were, there were a lot of changes made. Again, going back to, uh, to 1 Kings 12, you, you look at what, what all that Jeroboam started doing. So he's already decided that don't need to go back down to Jerusalem. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12 and in verse 28, Therefore the king asked advice. So that's a, just stop right there a minute. He asked advice. He didn't just come up with this on his own. He got some other people together. So, okay, now what should we do? And this is what they come up with. Made two calves of gold. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go to, up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other in Dan. Now this became a sin. It's pretty obvious. I mean, the Lord plainly says this was wrong. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places. 
and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. God said it would be a Levite who would be a priest. And, and he just took whoever he wanted to, to be priest. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. It was kind of like what they did in Jerusalem, but it wasn't what they were supposed to do. A lot of things are kind of like what the Bible says, but it's not what the Bible says. So the, they did at Bethel also, Dan and Bethel, both doing this sacrifice into the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priest of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month and, and the month which he had devised in his own heart. I think this would be a good way to do it. Again, sounds very familiar. And he, or, and he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. And of course God wasn't pleased. And you could go on and read the next chapter and see that he sends a man of God to rebuke the king and condemn what they were doing. But his pretense was, I'm going to make it easier for the people. His real reason was he didn't want to lose control. And that's what we find in the religious world today. They don't want to lose control. They don't want to lose their crowd. So they'll change it to whatever they think will help keep the people there. And so soon, that, that really didn't keep the people just there. And error is usually that way. If you go this far, what's to keep you from going this far and this far? You know, it's like a slippery slope. Once you leave the Bible's authority then where does it stop? There's no stopping point. Whatever the people would tolerate, that's what would be done. And so soon they introduced Baal worship and Asherah and the Asherah poles and all manner of things as they would worship whatever gods that they wanted to. So here's kind of the things I could imagine them saying. Why, travel Jerusalem? Oh, that's just too difficult. You don't have time for all of that. And then only marry Jews? <laughs> that's just too restrictive. Levites only as priests? By now, they've never heard of such. I can only eat what? <laughs> no pork? That really would sound strange to their ears. I've got to close my business on the Sabbath day? Why, well, they never heard of that either. Today, what do you hear? It might be, well, what do you mean there's only one church? That sounds strange to people. And, and this is really what I want us to, to, to consider. Is it strange because it's wrong? Or is it strange because it's been so long since anybody just stood for what God said? No matter what the world may think. And so people will think it's strange if you say, there's only one church. And they hear people like years ago, Billy Graham used to say, thank God for all the churches. Because you can just pick the one that best suits you and worship in uh, and, and, and that way. And yet, when we turn to Scripture, we find that first of all, when the Lord said, I'm going to build my church, He said, and it's a, I know a familiar passage, but as you look at, at uh, Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18, He, he very simply says in this passage when he was asking his disciples who do people say that I am and they were giving him the various answers but 
he, he goes on uh, to say in verse 18, uh, in response to what Peter had said, who he was, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are Peter. Not on Peter's uh, on who Peter is, but on Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Son of God. On that, the Lord said, I will build my church based on who I am, the Christ, the Son of God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not even death would keep Jesus from building His church. Well, how many churches did the Lord build? Well, I think most would agree. Well, He, just, he, he built one. Well, does he expect us then to somehow be okay with this all manner of different churches? We read as the apostles went about teaching and preaching, we find them saying the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 22, here uh, Paul says to to the brethren there, He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church and the body, when the, when the Bible talks about those, those are interchangeable. The church, which is His body. And then in chapter 4 of Ephesians, in verse 4, it says there is one body. Well, the body is the church. There's one, one body, so there's one <laughs> church. But yet, when you tell people that, well, that just sounds kind of strange. They really have not considered it in that way. And, and so the Lord never contemplated that there be the, this church and that church of the church because here's what the Lord contemplated. They'd just be His people. They'd be Christians. And so when you suggest to somebody that you just shouldn't be anything but a Christian, that sounds strange because that is not what they're used to. In fact, if somebody asks you something about your, your faith and you say, I'm a Christian, then very often the next thing they'll ask, well, yeah, but, but what kind? Well, in the Bible, they, you know, they, you were either a believer or you weren't, you were a Christian or you weren't, you were faithful or you weren't, but there was not types of Christians. Can't find that anywhere. Not in the sense that we see it today. So in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So the disciples were... <laughs> They were called Christians. And then we, did, we do have an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that it looked like the makings of something similar to what we see today started. And that is people decided, I think I'll call myself after this person or that person. We see that in the denominational world. Uh, quite often I'm going to call myself a Lutheran, for instance, after Martin Luther. Even though to, to Luther's credit, he asked people not to do that, but they did it anyway. Or someone to call themselves after a certain uh, um, particular belief. And they may say, uh, I'm a Baptist, but just meaning I believe in immersion. So the name started segmenting what that particular group sort of stood for as opposed to others. And yet in Scripture, you just don't find that concept. At all. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Where today, it's just, well, one, they may say, let's just agree to disagree. 
Or they might say, well, you, you go over here and worship with the group that thinks like you, and you go over here and worship with the group that thinks like you. But the Lord never intended that. He never intended for us to have that type of division. He goes on to say in verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Well, what did he mean by that? Verse 12, Now say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Well, how would we answer that question today? Based on what we see around us that the religious world says is a good thing. Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you. He baptized a few but I'm glad I didn't because you'd be all saying, I'm a Paul because Paul baptized me. To know that is not the idea at all that the Lord had. In fact, um, when you do see the word Christian, it just refers to the Lord's people. And in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16, Peter said, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, you know, not as this type or that type. There were no types. They were just Christians. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now, you start talking about women's role in the church. Um, I was at a place, um, oh, it's been a year, two years, I guess, now, or time gets away, maybe a little longer. Um, and they were having a study. They first had studied elders, and then they studied deacons. And they got into talking about, um, would the correct translation be deacons or deacons' wives or deaconesses? And so there was some discussion about that. And there were part who wanted to say, oh, no, uh, a woman can be a deacon. That's fine. And there are some go further than that, say a woman could be an elder. But I have the same response to either one of those uh, about that. And, I, and what I said to the one who was really wanting it to say that the women could be deacons, I said, well, when she can be the husband of one wife, then I guess it'd be okay. But the Bible says one of the qualifications to be an elder or to be a deacon is to be the husband of one wife. Now, it tells me that that person would be a male. But that sounds strange to people. Really? A woman's role is different than a man's role? It's always been the case. Not, not in a condescending way, not in an inferior way, just in a different way. And so we, we read passages that indicate that a woman is not to take the leadership role um, within the church. Uh, when, it, when it's in, especially in the assembly, I think in 1 Corinthians 14 would the setting would be uh, in, uh, in the assembly. And so, um, like we read in first, verse 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And so, this one may speak in a tongue, and the other one may speak in a tongue, but not the women. Now, they're not to take that role. Well, then it goes even a little bit further uh, as far as uh, being careful about that. Look at 1 Timothy uh, in, in chapter 2. 
Here it says, let a a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence. It's not that a woman can't speak. It's not that she can't sing. not that she can't make her confession. She can't have the authority over the man. That is just not the role that God has made for her. But you know, you say that today and that just sounds strange. I will tell you, I appreciate the women who, because of their love for the Lord, they say, okay, that's what God said, that's what I'll do. And, and they, they accept that, and, and they do all the great things they can do without having to be in the leadership position. But again, that sounds strange to people today. You mean we can't have a woman to preach or be an elder? I went to a debate a few years ago where supposedly a member of the church was advocating that a woman could be an elder or a preacher. And not to go through all that debate, but his thinking was this. Paul would not say the same thing today that he did then. I think that's all you can come up with, that Paul wouldn't say the same thing today that he did then. How do you know what Paul would say? And yet Paul would say, I teach the same thing in every church. And and we're told truth doesn't change. Truth is always truth. Today, yesterday, forever, Jesus is the Word. The Word is truth. Jesus doesn't change. Truth does not change. What about the, the husband being the head of the wife? Oh, that sounds strange to a lot of people, doesn't it? We talked about this some already, but in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And there are many women who say, oh no, I'm not doing that. Well, what are you saying? That just sounds too strange to them. Not not a man going to tell me what to do. Well, if it's the right kind of man, there won't be a, a lordship going on here. Even the elders, you ever thought about this? The elders who have the oversight of the flock are not to lord it over the flock. That's not the idea at all. The, the husband who, who, who uh, loves his wife and nourishes and cherishes her, would die for her. No, you don't see bullying. You don't see, uh, I'm not listening to anybody. Don't, don't get, even give me your opinion. You don't see that. Do you see that with the Lord? Do you, do you think the Lord just bullies us and, and, and doesn't care what we think? And, no, He loves us. We love Him and... and we accept his headship. And so it is uh, with the, the relationship between husband and wife. As also Christ is head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. And therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. But husbands, you love your wife. Sometimes husbands love to be the head. They don't like the, the, the nourishing and cherishing part. Well, they both go together. Sometimes the husband does not want to be the head, won't accept the role as the head. And then that's a whole other set of problems. But my point tonight is, that just sounds strange to people today. They don't want to accept that. Well, what about as it comes to our worship and we are assembled together and and people come in and they wonder, where is the piano? Where's the organ? Where's the band? I remember more than one time I've heard this, and once it happened where I grew up uh, in South Alabama, lady was visiting, not a member of the church, 
And it seemed strange to her that we didn't have some type of instrumental music. And so she offered to buy us a piano because evidently we couldn't afford one. So I'm just going to buy you one. And, of course, we you know, explained, well, no, we, it's not that we can't afford one money-wise, but we can't afford one because God hasn't given us permission to do that. And so the idea of singing only is just kind of foreign to people. We were in Ephesians 5. Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I have the Lord's permission. I have His instructions even to do that. To, to um, do exactly what this verse says. I'm going to speak, we'll speak to one another. You know, that's why we don't have specials and solos and, and uh, special groups to do this and that, to kind of entertain the rest of it. We speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make the melody in our heart, not on an instrument. It's in our heart. And so it sounds strange to people, though, that you don't have whatever else people are adding from the piano to the organ to the drums to the guitars to the uh, on and on, full orchestras in many places. And then you tell people something like, you know, baptism is essential to salvation. Oh, that sounds strange. Well, oh no, wait a minute. That, that, you're just trying to work your way to heaven. And I'm, I always wondered about that. Really? <laughs> you think somebody else takes me and dips me under the water? I'm not doing anything dips me under the water, and then every sin I've ever committed is gone, that somehow that merits that being done. I don't even see how to go there, first of all, that somehow somebody would come up out of the water and say, look what a great thing I've done to earn my salvation. I just can't see that mindset anyway. But when the, you turn to very plain passages like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, where it says this is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. I'm, I'm thinking, how much plainer could God have said it? If God wanted to say baptism now saves you, isn't that what He said? Or the Lord says in Mark 16, verse 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. And people want to say, oh, He didn't say he that believes and is baptized not shall be saved. The way he's told you how to be saved. Believe and be baptized to be saved. And he's told you how to be lost. Don't believe. Now which do you want to do? You want to be saved? You want to be lost? And yet when you say that baptism is an essential part of coming to the Lord, and there are many other passages that we could, we could go to, that sounds strange to people because they have been told their whole life, oh no, you're baptized to show that you have been saved. Not that you want those sins forgiven, washed away, like Paul was told in Acts chapter 22. And then we could go on. The list could just go on and on. What about Christmas? People really think it's strange when the church does not celebrate Christmas. Now, I'm not talking about what you might do individually as, as part of the tradition of, of our, uh, our civil um, of where we live and, and uh, enjoying the holidays and exchanging gifts. I love people giving me gifts. Yeah. Um, but when you bring it into church and you say, oh yeah, this is the Lord's birthday and we're going to have this special service and we're going to recognize it as, as a, uh, a, a time of religious observation, it sounds strange to people when you say, well, no, we don't, we don't do that. I remember when I was a teenager, um, 
I, I had met someone there uh, where we were staying at, at a campground, and uh, we were um, picking up pine combs. And this this um, uh, girl was from Ohio, and I guess they didn't have pine trees like we do. And and she said, "You think it'd be okay? Uh, should we go ask somebody about picking up these pine combs?" And I'm thinking they'd be glad for you to get those things out of the way, probably. But they didn't have them, and she said, well, we're going to decorate, decorate them for Christmas, spray them gold or whatever. I said, well, we, we don't celebrate Christmas. Now, where I grew up, we literally didn't do anything. There was no decoration in the house or anything. Uh, I, again, I enjoy all of that now um, in, in the sense of, as I described earlier. But when I said, well, we don't celebrate Christmas, her reaction was, you don't believe in Jesus? I said, oh, yes, we believe in, I belong to the church of Christ. We definitely believe in Jesus. But it sounded strange to her. Or to say that we don't have a big annual observance of Easter. That sounds strange. But again, you look at the scripture and the Lord's Supper, it's observed every week. I, my, I have some family that don't understand that. So, well, we, ob- we observe the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection every single week. We surely don't minimize it as they were implying. So again, those kind of things sound strange to people. Other issues we could talk about. Really, homosexuality is an abomination. Sounds strange to people. Oh, that's just hate speech. (coughs) Leviticus 18, verse 22, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. The Lord hadn't changed His mind about that. You read in uh, Romans chapter 1. Is that really hate speech to just say the truth of what God says about that uh, type of relationship? Or what about marriages for life and there's only one scriptural grounds for divorce and that's fornication or sexual immorality? That sounds... That can't possibly be right, can it? And the Lord said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. That sounds strange to people. And yet that's what the Lord said. And again, the list could go on and on. We could talk about uh, once saved, always saved. Saved by faith only. We could talk about the rapture, premillennialism, and all manner of other things that, that could be discussed. And it sounds strange to people to say that, you know, the Bible just doesn't support that. That's not what God said. That's not what God has told us to do. So very often the truth sounds strange. But you know what it is about the truth? It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's still the truth. And it doesn't matter if you accept it or not as far as it's still the truth. Sometimes people don't want to do things because I, I know, well, let me just speak to this. Uh, my first wife, when I, she was not a member of the church when she and I started dating and we studied a lot together. And one of the things that held her back was she didn't want to accept the truth of certain things because she was afraid of what it might mean to her family. And then alienate her from her family. And her, her dad had just died about two years earlier. And she was afraid of what that would say toward him. It, it doesn't, whatever you do doesn't affect that. God will take care of all of those things. And whether you accept it or not, that the other is still what it is. What matters is what we do with truth. You should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You believing the truth doesn't 
um, condemn somebody else or set somebody else free. It's what they did between them and the Lord. What we have to do is between us and the Lord. And even though it might sound strange, if it's the truth, that's what we need to do. And so sometimes, again, the truth does sound strange to people. So in Hosea, pull this up, Hosea chapter 10, starting in verse 12, the Lord said, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till He comes and rains righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. We're talking this week about trust, about trust God. That's the bottom line. Whatever God has said, you just trust Him. Whatever other circumstances may enter your mind, you, you just trust God. Trust and believe in what He has said. And the problem that they were having in Jeroboam's way and in many other way, days and times was they trusted in their own way. What a dangerous position that is to be in. The Lord said in Matthew 15 and in verse 13, But He answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted would be uprooted. Let them alone, for they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Again, the truth is the truth. If you follow the wrong person, you're just following error and you'll fall in the ditch, out out of the way you ought to be. But if you trust God, trust in what He says, then you won't be among those who will be one day uprooted. Jeroboam established his false religion. It was uprooted. What according to God's word. Anything not according to truth will eventually God will uproot. The Lord said, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I talked to a lady recently. She's a member of the church and she had not been attending like she should. Oh, but I love the Lord. That's what she told me. For the Lord said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how the Lord knows that we love him. We can claim to love Him, but if we let everything else get in the way between us and serving Him, do we really love Him? 1 John 5 and verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Even if they sound strange and different than what you're used to or what you see around you. Well, the truth often is that way. That's the nature of truth. It's different. It's not the norm. And, it, and I encourage all of us, just accept what you know the, the Lord said. Even if it's not what your neighbors think, not what you hear is politically correct, it's not what the polls are saying, but it's what God says. And when we stand before God, you know what I don't think He'll do? I don't think He'll look and say, now let's see, you were living in uh, 2019, and at that time, uh, homosexuality was okay. <laughs> Oh, you died in 1950. Oh, that time homosexuality was not okay, so you're in trouble. <laughs> no, the truth didn't change. Truth is always true, even if it sounds strange. I appreciate your good attention. Um, let's take our songbooks now and turn to the number that's been selected. 
Now, sometimes when a person obeys the truth, other people think that sounds strange. You know, they, they may not understand, but that's okay. The truth often seems that way when somebody hasn't heard it. But if you've heard the truth, you need to obey it. The Lord said, this is the time. Now is the time. There were a lot of people. I can only imagine what was going on in the, in the first century. I can only imagine being a Jew converted to Christianity. Your family sure wouldn't understand it. Probably would even disown you. <coughs> but I appreciate those who stood for truth. I know people today who obey the truth. And yet it causes them problems with their family. It causes problems sometimes with their spouse, sometimes with their work. But they stood for truth. It's truth to set you free. Tonight there might be someone who needs to be set free by obeying the truth. If you're not a Christian, do you believe Jesus is who He says He is? He's the Christ? Would you change your life? Repent. Would you admit that, confess that before others? And then would you be baptized, not because you've been saved, because you want to be saved, have your sins washed away? That's the truth. Might be you've done that and you've wandered away from the Lord. Truth is, you need to repent and you need to confess that and ask the Lord to forgive you. If that's been in a public way, then why not make that confession public and allow the brethren here to pray with you and pray for you? Whatever your need is, if we can help, let it be known while we stand and sing.